So building that repertoire, giving the pieces, that's all part of developing that will to try. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, I think about your humble beginnings back in 1997 when you first recorded the Teaching, Writing, Structure, and Solve video course and where we are today, 25 years later, more than 25 years later. Well, the very first recording was mm-hmm. a little bit before that, but it was so bad we couldn't use it. Right, right. So we, we started actually selling one in 97. And, yeah, it was one of those um, basement room businesses mm-hmm. with just the royal we, me, myself, and I, and mm-hmm. I was um, teaching music at the time and trying to figure out, could I make this work as a, right. as a business? And of course, I never, ever imagined where we would be today. Well, and that's kind of where I'm going with my uh, introductory comments is, who, would, who could have imagined? I, I'm looking at your article in your book, However Imperfectly, And the article is called, In Retrospect, Heroes of Providence. And you talk about the various people that you met along your life's journey who have helped you become the person you are today, in which, as you said to a group of students yesterday, you are a big name in a very, very, very small circle. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, that circle is ever-expanding, and what... I think surprises me, you know, having now journeyed with you for 14 years, maybe 15. I don't know. (laughs) It's hard to know when we actually can start talking about when we started this journey together because I wasn't working for you initially. I had you come and speak to a group of homeschooling parents for this tutoring program I had started for homeschoolers. But over the years, we have at IEW have, of course, impacted homeschoolers because that was the first foray that you did. Then uh, certainly public school teachers, private school teachers. And then we got into this special needs type of arena where more and more people are discovering this method really breaks it down to the smallest possible components that can help many children who have special needs. But then... I'm not going to say it's a, it, it, this is not chronological, but we've also learned that so many people who are English language learners have found great success using IEW. And that's what our topic is today, English language learners. So when did you first learn that English language learners were benefiting from the structure and style me- approach? Yeah, sure. I was living in Moscow, Idaho oh. at the time which is about 90 miles south of Spokane, Washington, and just across the border near Pullman, the University of Washington, University of Idaho. So So this was way at the beginning. This was way back in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. And 
through some probably homeschool mom connection, mm-hmm. I was introduced to someone who was teaching at a university in Tri Cities, okay, which is Clarkston, Lewiston, and Pasco. And through that, I did something for the education students mm-hmm. at the WSU campus there. And one of those was a teacher in the Pasco School District getting her master's in education. And so she started doing that uh, using structure and style. And it's, you know, before we had much in the way of anything to support the teachers other Mm -hmm. than here's the method. Mm -hmm. And uh, as a result of that, the assistant superintendent of the Pasco School District invited me to come and do something for all of their grade three to six teachers. And so I did. And that was the first time I had really been in a large group mm-hmm. of public school, five-day-a-week, brick-and-mortar, frontline teachers. Right. And I guess I didn't know what to expect, but Pasco is it's a, uh, an agricultural area, mm-hmm. you know, central Washington, eastern Washington state. They have a very high transient Hispanic farm worker population. Oh, sure, yeah. And so it turns out that in that particular school district, in those grades, a majority of the kids were English language learners. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I, I don't have a whole lot of experience here other than my own experience of living in a foreign country trying to learn a language. Which you did in Japan. In Japan. For three years. But I thought, well, basic principles are basic principles. Mm-hmm. And I was very blessed to establish a relationship with the Pasco School District. And because I could drive there, it was easy. And so I was there two or three times a year Mm. for at least three or four years. I think it tapered off toward the end. We had relocated the business and family to California, but I still flew back there. Mm -hmm. The, The most common situation was a teacher would come in and listen, and then go do keyword outlines with her class, um, many of which were in this kind of middle zone. They called them set, Spanish-English transition. Okay. So they weren't teaching all of the subject content in Spanish, but they weren't doing everything in English either. There Mm -hmm. was a a bridge. Mm -hmm. And it was really a, a remarkable opportunity for me to see firsthand uh, the tremendous results that they were getting way better than anything they had been doing before Mm. the structure and style was introduced. And uh, it was it was just a joy. I would I think I taught I went back enough times to have taught every single teacher the basic TWSS. And this was in the upper elementary. Right. Right. So grade three to six was our, our sweet spot there. Mm-hmm. Every single teacher, several times, mm-hmm. I went to every single of the, if my memory is correct, nine, seven or nine elementary schools. Wow. And I did demonstration classes at almost every grade level three to six in right. every one of those schools. So I, I was deep 
into it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what I learned by being there helped me later in teaching other scenarios where there was a lot of English as a second or foreign language going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and what what I think is, is fascinating is this was not branded as an English language learner curriculum. This was just the same structure and style, the teaching writing structure and style course that we sell today that we don't say this is for right. and, any particular group. And, you know, Dr. Webster said something to me many years ago. Mm-hmm. He said, the problem is with the structure and style, it works really well in any situation. But if you say, oh, it's great for special needs, then everybody else thinks, well, it's not for us. Mm-hmm. If you say it's really good for gifted, talented you know, kids, then everybody else says, well, it's not for us. And if you say, well, it's for any particular group, then everybody else would say, well, whereas it is one of the most remarkable systems because it is so effective in pretty much every educational setting Mm -hmm. that I have come across from early grades to later grades to 100% native English speakers to almost 100% non-native English speakers to very, very talented kids to almost completely unable to write anything on paper kids. I mean, the, the whole spectrum. And so we have, and we've talked about this before, tried to not get pigeonholed in mm-hmm. that way mm-hmm. and get labeled or label ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is particularly a delight to see people who are challenged by, you know, learning difficulties or or special needs situation and be able to help them. And of course, the second language, whether it's in the elementary school like Pasco or um, our good friend who teaches at the college, right, at uh, Tulsa Community College, right, uh, and saw tremendous results with adults, right, trying to do meet their ESL requirements for progress in the educational system. Right, right. And and we also I'm just thinking about our 2021 homeschool magalog, our magazine catalog for the homeschooling communities. Our feature article is Aria who is not herself an English language is not her first language. And so she's now homeschooling her children. She wants to be sure that she's giving them the best, but yet she has she sees in herself that she's not able to communicate maybe sophisticated, reliably correct or sophisticated English, right? Yeah. And so she talks about how IEW was the best thing that happened to her and to her children. And and we've had many messages like that, right. conversations over the years of you know, moms in particular mm-hmm. who feel like if English isn't my first language, how can I teach that right. to my children if mm-hmm. I'm homeschooling? And mm-hmm. yeah, there are definitely difficulties, but the ones who try it almost always come back and say, This has helped me personally yep. so much in my understanding of yep. writing in English, confidence, vocabulary, all of those things that are important for kids, are important for anyone. Right. So what is it about our system that makes it particularly useful for English language learners? 
Well, I, it's, I, I would say it starts with the tight modeling, right? And those listeners who are familiar with our Unit 1 realize that when you read something and then you choose three keywords from a sentence and you copy those keywords from the sentence and then you do the next one and the next one and the next one until you have a keyword outline, you now have really the most important pieces that you would need to put that idea back together again. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, it, it's kind of like you make the analogies of ingredients or Legos, you mm -hmm. know, and you say, if you have good Lego pieces, you can build a better Lego thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is why nine-year-old boys will spend 20 minutes looking for the perfect piece <laughs> right. for the thing they're trying to do. You sound like you're speaking from a grandpa experience. I have recently observed a tremendous concentration power of a nine-year-old <laughs> when it comes to sorting Lego pieces. Yes. And somehow that tremendous concentration power does not always shift over <laughs> into some of the more academic areas mm -hmm. that his homeschooling mother would like to see. But, but there is that equipping with the pieces. And I think, you know, that's where we start. And then we continue in that way. And so then you've got, okay, I got the three most important words in this sentence. I don't have to remember them. I don't have to think of them. Mm -hmm. But guess what? Mm -hmm. I can immediately use them in reconstructing a sentence. Mm -hmm. So it's this halfway step between either just reading something or reciting a memorized bit of language, which has tremendous value for second language. We can talk about that. Mm -hmm. But it's this halfway step between having it all and not having to put anything together and having nothing and having to find all the pieces and put them together. We're, we're laying out mm -hmm. the most important pieces. And that is allowing for kind of an instant success in a yes, way. Yes, yes. And a feeling of success and confidence. And so that's just, you know, one. That's mm -hmm. just copy the keywords and retell the sentence. And, and retell the sentence verbally. We're not even asking them to construct sentences on paper until unit two. Right, right. But you move into unit two. And now, okay, mm -hmm. you write what you heard yourself say to yourself. Right. But what you heard yourself say to yourself is closer to something that is grammatically correct, I mm -hmm. suppose, you know, in English, because it came from something mm -hmm. correct. Right. And so it's just this very tight modeling. And then right. as you move through the units, as you introduce the stylistic techniques, as you provide vocabulary lists... It's not quite as tight in terms of the modeling, but we never leave the student without pieces to work with. Yep. It's a, At least not for a very, very long time. It's an acrobat on a tight rope by the time they get to Unit 7, which is the blank page, but there's a safety net underneath. Yeah. And there's still that keyword outline, so you have that. And the telling it back, especially for English, English language learners, that telling it back from the keyword outline for a teacher to hear those sentences to make sure they are correct. Well, and you know, we <clears throat> have done so much with our kind of little tagline, mm -hmm. the, the four arts of language, listen, speak, 
read write, yep. and then the extension right. think. Mm -hmm. And so there's an integration that happens there between the listening, the speaking, the reading, and the writing. And I don't see anything that does that as effectively as using outlines to improve reading comprehension, mm -hmm. using outlines to create verbal fluency, using outlines to then move into written competency, mm -hmm. and then using outlines in increasingly sophisticated ways. But you're never without you know, that safety net. You're never without a way to do it and mm -hmm. be successful. Yep. And so teachers love it. I remember, Andrew, when I first started working for you, probably the first or second year, you had suggested we go to a TESOL conference in mm, New We York did, City. in New York City. We were ambitious back then. Yes. Well, I think we're still ambitious, or at least I always am. But <laughs> I, uh, I remember sitting in that huge exhibit hall with all these hundreds of TESOL instructors, you know, teachers of English as a second language, and just looking around at all of them and and knowing, knowing that what we have would be effective, but it w we just couldn't compete with the million-dollar booths that were there to, you know, show all the bells and whistles and the full-color curriculum that maybe could be helpful, but ultimately it, it wasn't comprehensive like this listening, speaking, reading, writing yeah. that we do with IEW. You know, I'm working on a presentation right now oh. for an administrator's conference, nice. a, a school's administrator's conference I'm mm -hmm. going to speak at in a couple mm -hmm. of weeks. And the kind of theme that this conference is built around is the standards mm -hmm. that this network of schools is right. seeking to align with. And so I, I'm doing something on qualitative assessment mm, mm -hmm. in language arts. Right, right. And I think there is a problem in that everyone wants a quantitative mm -hmm. assessment. They want immediately to be able to do something and have a score and then judge effectiveness or progress according to the scores. And mm -hmm. so I remember being at the TESOL conference in New York, thinking this is all really about that. Right. Yep. Uh, which is the same thing I experienced when I went to the Correctional Education Association, which right. was for people teaching in correctional institutions. Right. And it was all about proving the scores. Mm -hmm. And yet the, the stories we get, the testimonials we get, the responsive teachers who get the great results are very qualitative. Right. And they're they're telling a story. Right. They're giving examples. So I think one of the problems is that a lot of the publishing shifted over mm. to this very mechanical if we do this, we will get that and and losing out on the kind of more organic process mm, mm -hmm. of language growth, right? which can't always be quantified. And one of the things you'll notice, and I noticed this trying to learn Japanese, 
is you hit kind of plateaus. You know, you learn something, you learn some grammar, you learn some vocabulary, you feel like you can talk or write a little bit better, but then, you know, you've got this period of time where you just don't feel like you're doing anything better than you did for the last few weeks mm-hmm. or months. Mm-hmm. But then you reach another little kind of burst. Mm-hmm. And this is true in, in anything, whether it's an art like music or drawing, you can kind of hit a plateau. Or in uh, physical conditioning, you, right. you hit that spot where like I'm just not improving and then boom. So I think we have to be very careful about curriculums that are created specifically to prove that they work mm-hmm. because, yes, they they are designed that way, but they're mechanical in a way that perhaps isn't accommodating the human aspect. Right. And that's why I think what we what we want to encourage is, yes, we know it works. We, we have some qualitative research. We can prove stuff. Well, and I just wanted to mention, so that it goes in the show notes, we have the Berwyn study. Right. Where we actually, and that was surprising. This is just a normal public school, fourth, fifth grade classrooms, but the the classroom that improved the greatest, yes, was had the highest percentage of English language English learners. language learners. Yeah. So, you know, we we do have that kind of thing, right? But I think what's more significant are the stories of the people who say, "Aha, we did this. This is what changed." And the most valuable part of what changed is attitude, confidence. To, to speak a foreign language, to write a foreign language, takes a little bit of courage. Yes, it does. <laughs> right? Because well, What's you, the joke about English, um, how many languages you speak? If you speak... Oh, yes. If you speak two languages, you are bilingual. bilingual. If you speak more than two languages, you're... Well, trilingual, multilingual. Multilingual. Uh-huh. And if you speak only one language, you're... American. American, yeah. Because w- we don't have the advantage necessarily of living in close proximity yeah. or having in the family or being in an area where countries are all smushed together, nor do we have the need mm-hmm. the way a lot of people in other countries do for other languages. But e- even if you do, it takes courage to be willing to try and say or write something knowing that it could be wrong. Right. So building that that repertoire, that confidence, having the, the scaffolding, giving the pieces, that's all part of developing, you know, that will to try. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I have met, you know, some people who say my English is very bad, only if they hadn't said it, you wouldn't know they were a native speaker. Oh, interesting. You know, mm. people who've lived here for a long time. But they mm-hmm. still have that idea mm. that my English is not as good as it would have been if I had started when I was a lot younger. Right, right. So what, what strategies would you give to the teacher who's listening today who's saying, hmm, I never even considered bringing this into my English language learning environment? Well, the, the first thing is I would strongly encourage memorized language, Mm -hmm. preferably poetry Mm -hmm. that is enjoyable for children. Anything, really, as long as it is correct, will help to build that database of vocabulary and syntax. 
And um, I, I like to tell the story. One of the teachers I met in Pasco, I remember this very well because I was teaching uh, in her grade five classroom. And these were 100% Hispanic kids, mm-hmm. English, second language. It was a set class. Mm-hmm. And I had done a keyword outline. And I said, okay, now I'm going to give you some homework. And when I said the word homework, the whole class of 20-something little kids, as cute as could be, they all just started reciting, homework, oh, homework, I hate you, you sink. I wish I could wash you right down the sink. Oh, homework, oh, homework, you're giving me fits. If I had a bum, I would blow you to bits. I'm like, what? (laughs) Well, it turns out that's a poem by Jack Prelutsky, Mm -hmm. which I was not familiar with Hmm. at the time. And this teacher had had her children not just memorize the poem, but recite it regularly enough in unison that they could just do it. So every time she mentioned the word homework, she might have been surprised herself that all the kids just started reciting. I I don't know exactly, but what I do remember is my conversation with her. Mm -hmm. And I said, how did you know Mm -hmm. the value of doing that? Mm -hmm. Because I meet so few people that are aware that that's a good investment mm-hmm. of time in your very packed school day. Yep. And she said, well, I'm from Puerto Rico. English is my second language, mm-hmm. which I never would have guessed. Mm-hmm. But she said, when I came here to go to school, I memorized English poetry to build my vocabulary. Oh, wow. Interesting. So she kind of figured this out. Right. And... I, I was just so impressed. And so, you know, she had been having her English language learner kids memorize poetry. And I, I think a, a, a very fruitful discussion could come of that if you had the right kind of ESL, ELL teachers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. together because they would be open to the idea mm-hmm. more so than, say, a lot of others. But you know, that would be the first bit of advice. The second one is follow all the rules for everybody. Source texts at or preferably below the reading level. It's okay to use a way low reading level source text with older kids. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't hurt them in any way, but it kind of ensures success. Mm-hmm. Second rule, always talk back the keyword outlines. Mm. You know, don't skip that step right. and jump right into, okay, now write sentences. No, right. talk it through. Talk it through many, many times. You know, third rule, give as much help as is needed, even to the point of dictating what to write down, mm-hmm. adding to, you know, the word lists. You know, we have our LY adverb list and we build some band words list off some of the we claim lousy verbs or quality adjectives. We get that going. But you can also have, you know, commonly misspelled words or mm-hmm. fun-to-use words and make the classroom environment, whatever that is, as packed with language on the walls as can be done. Mm-hmm. And then it's just ever-present. It's like a, it's like a, a living resource. Mm-hmm. It's always there. And the kids are more willing to try and write a word that they see on the wall because they don't have to figure out or remember how to spell it. Or maybe they never knew and couldn't figure it out. And so they see that word and that word hops off the wall through their eyes into their brain and out 
into their paper. And in the process of doing that, what happens? They learn the word. It grows the vocabulary. Right. Adds to their repertoire. You know, and um, another thing that's probably would be a very good thing to do, although I don't know if it has done much, is just cross-translation. Oh. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, if you're learning uh, Latin or French in a more classical way, you're going to spend time translating English into Latin mm-hmm. or French or some other language, and then you're going to spend time translating the Latin or the French or some other language into English, Mm -hmm. and going back and forth like that is the best way to work out the bugs and really, really understand it. Mm -hmm. And so that could very easily be done with keyword outlines. And I would even mention, you know, I've taught whole school faculties, which includes music teachers, math teachers, Spanish teachers, people who wouldn't normally sign up for a how-to-teach-English composition. Right. And right? we really encourage schools when they do a professional development day to bring all their teachers. And I have heard people say, wow, I never thought I can. this is going to help me teach word problems in math. Nice. But the most common one is I think I could use keyword outlines to help my English-speaking students learn Spanish. Oh, interesting. Yep. And compose in Spanish. Nice. And... I, I have never yet had a teacher of anything who came up to me and said, well, I didn't get a single good idea. out of it. I mean, 99% of everyone who says anything to me, yeah. they want to share. I got this insight. I see this way to use this idea, very simple ideas, mm-hmm. structure and style in other disciplines. Right. Well, Andrew, I'm sure this was super helpful. I know we could probably spend a lot more time talking about this, but I think you gave our teachers lots of great places to start. And of course, if you have any other questions, listeners, you know how to find us, IEW.com, or just call our customer service line and we'll point you in the right direction to help. Yeah. And if there's anyone out there who's very active in the TESOL, Mm -hmm. uh, ELL, ESL community that has suggestions on how we could better serve them, we would be more than happy to receive those suggestions. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Here you can also find show notes and relevant links from today's broadcast. One last thing, would you mind going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast? This really helps other smart, caring listeners like you find us. Thanks so much.